Facebook for the last couple weeks. My wife had a baby two weeks ago. Our, th- our third, yes, thank you. His name is Asa Nash. We have two little girls, and he is our third, and they're all under three, so we, uh, it's good to be out of the house. That's all I have to say. <laughs> Hasn't been much leaving the house or, or sleep in the last two weeks, so... But it's good to be here with you this morning. Um, we've also been very blessed by a few of you who have done a meal train for us this last few weeks. That has been a huge blessing. We live overseas or have lived overseas for the last eight years, and that's not, not really something we've experienced. And so um, that, is, that has been a real treat these last couple of weeks. So thank you guys who have been able to participate in that. Well, this morning I'm going to be sharing out of First John chapter 5. And so you can, uh, you can go ahead and open your Bibles there, and I will begin by reading that passage. 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out his commands. Next verse. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, we ask this morning that you would speak to us through your word. God, we bow before you in reverence of your word, and we ask, God, that it would pierce our hearts, Lord, that it would speak to us, that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, that you would walk in the room this morning and shine the light of your face upon us, that you would give us revelation of your word. Words that seem so simple, but are so mysterious sometimes. God, we ask this morning, would you show us yourself? Would you speak to us in Jesus' name? Amen. Well, John's epistles are um, probably the simplest seeming books of the Bible, but to me, they seem to be the most complex. I've been staring at this scripture every day for multiple hours and just trying to understand it. You read it and you're like, okay, that seems, that seems pretty straightforward. And then you read it a few more times and then you read it a few more times and then you get more and more confused by something that seems so simple. And that's kind of John's style of writing. If you've read through the epistles, which I'm sure you have, they're all very short and very basic. But um, if you read through them a little slower and multiple times over and over again, they start to seem a little more difficult to understand or a little more complex or deep. And, and when I read this, that's, that's kind of what I see. But before we start, I want to define a few terms for us. I want to define three terms, and then I just want to break down this passage and see, ask the Lord to give us understanding of how we can, how, what this means for us today. What does this passage mean for us today? But a few terms that I want to define, three of them. The first one is born of God. The second one is the world. And the third one is faith. 
And those are probably three terms that you see in this passage. They're probably three terms that you've heard a lot if you've been coming to church for any amounts of time. Um, so the phrase born of God, this is, a, this is a phrase that we see a lot through scripture. We see multiple times in this passage in particular. Um, in, in Christian culture, you probably have heard the, the phrase new birth um, or, or something along those lines. And this phrase is a very difficult phrase to describe to someone who is not a Christian and especially someone who has no knowledge of Christian culture or the church or anyone who lives in a Muslim country, for example. That's where we live. That is a very difficult phrase to describe because in Islam, for example, when I, when I go to try and describe this reality, it is actually, it's a big deal if you try to attribute an attribute like father to God. God cannot be a father in Islam. God is not begotten and cannot be begotten. And we know that that's not what this is, is saying in a, in a physical way. We all know that, I believe. But when I talk to my friends in the country that we used to live in, that's a very difficult thing to communicate. And so what I do usually, I actually go all the way to the Old Testament. I go to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 32, and, I, and this, you can just write this down or whatever. From the beginning, in the Old Testament, God has always been a father. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 6, is he not your father, the creator? All throughout the Old Testament, we see that God, who is the creator, always related to his creation as his family. And so the people that he created were his sons and his daughters, his family. And he created them because he had that desire for a family. Now, of course, sin entered the picture and things got a little more complicated, but God from the beginning is always a father. So this phrase, born of God, again, one of the most difficult truths and realities to communicate to someone who's not a Christian, but it's not something physical, obviously, but it is something very relational and very intimate. God is our Father, and that's how we can relate to him as his sons and daughters. He is as near to us, as close to us, and loves us as deep as a father loves his own children. And that's what the phrase, born of God, is aiming to communicate in this passage. The next phrase is the world. Now, the world, you probably also, you all have different ideas of what this could mean. John actually defines it himself for us in chapter 2, verse 15. He says, the world, it's the lust of, I'm just going to summarize for you, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And 1 John 2, verse 15 and 16, that's what you see. The world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And this is actually another thing that we see very commonly in Scripture, all the way back in the Garden of Eden. How was Eve tempted with the fruit? She was tempted by seeing it, by craving it. And then by the, the, the temptation that the, the serpent gave her was that you can become like God by that pride and that arrogance. And that same, that same thing here is what John's summarizing is the world. What is the world? It's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's jealousy for things you don't have and pride in the things that you do have. The world is jealousy for the things that you don't have and pride, or the flesh, maybe that's a better way to say it. The flesh, is, it's a jealousy for things that you don't have, and pride 
in the things that you do have. Now, the third term that we see here that I want to define before moving on is faith. Hebrews actually gives us the best definition of this. It's the same definition that you'll find in the dictionary, actually. Hebrews 11, verse 1. It says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things that are not seen. And I know that you guys all know what the definition of faith is, but sometimes I like to take a step back and remind myself what words like this mean before trying to understand a passage. Faith is the assurance of something that's hoped for in the future. Okay, there's something that God has given us and told us is coming in the future. And when we have faith, we have confidence that that will happen in the future. And then in Corinthians, we also know faith is not seeing. We don't see, we live by faith. We don't, we don't live by what we see in front of us necessarily. We live by faith and in what we believe God to say, God, that God says is true. So those are three definitions that I want us to keep in our minds as we look in this passage. Just a few more notes, though, on being born of God. This is also why we do something called baptism. You're all very familiar with baptism. Baptism is a symbol of the old life or the flesh dying in the water and a new life coming up. Old desires, which are the world, passing away and new desires coming into our heart and into our life. We have a new desire for God. We have a new desire for things of God instead of things of the world. Now, as we start this passage, in the first two verses, it's like John gives us an introduction to what he's about to talk about. That introduction to me is a little confusing, so I just want to read it one more time. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, is born of God, And everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. That's verse one. So everyone who believes that Jesus is the the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the father loves his children. Okay, or whoever is born of God. That's what that actually is. That's why it's singular, children, child. And And then he says, this is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out his commands. So he says, okay, if you love the father, you also love his children. But then he says, you know you love his children if you love the father. So you love the father, you know you love the father if you love his children, but you also know you love his children if you love the father. And he's going in this circle, and it's kind of like, okay, those, you just keep going back and forth. Why are you doing that? And the reason is because faith, Faith in God and love, they're distinguishable. They are different, but they are inseparable. Faith in God and love for others, those cannot be separated. You cannot love God and not love others. Those cannot be separated. And in the same way, you cannot fully love other people without loving God. You can't love God without loving people, and you can't love people without loving God. That's a fake love without God. And that's his introduction right here. Now, he, he's going he's gonna to define this now in verses 3, 4, and 5. So let's see what he says. So that's the introduction, which in my opinion, that's the, really the verse I stared at over and over, just 
wondering why is that so circle, like a circle? And, and then he starts to define it, and he defines it in, with three questions that I'll give you. Or he answers three questions. Let me put it that way. The first question that he answers is, what is love for God? And the second is he answers, why are his commands not burdensome? And the third question that he answers is, how is the world overcome? So verse by verse, I'm going to show you how he answers these questions. What is love for God? He actually says that. What is love for God? Verse 3, this is love for God to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. Obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. Most likely, by commands here, he's referring to the command to love other people, based on verses 1 and 2. And we also see that Jesus summarizes the first and second commandment as loving God with, our, with all our hearts, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. And you know what Jesus says? This summarizes all the law and the prophets. The greatest commandment and the second is like it, and it summarizes all the law and the prophets, Matthew 22. So what is love for God? Obeying his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Obeying his commands, which is loving others, and I'm sure there is also more than just loving others, but all flow from that. And his commands are not burdensome. If they're not burdensome, then what are they? I frequently think of things in, in faith. Maybe I shouldn't say frequently, but I feel like it is more frequent than I want it to be. Things in faith, like reading the Bible, doing stuff for others, sometimes they feel like a burden. I'm going to be very honest with you. And I think that's normal for all of us. Some of these things that God has asked us to do, some of these things that we're called to do as Christians, they feel like a burden. But here, John's saying they are not burdensome. The opposite of being a burden means that they will be a desire. The things that sometimes seem so difficult for us to do, they will be a desire. We will desire them. And we've all read these passages in Psalms, Psalms, Uh, 40, for example, Psalms 40, verse 8, I delight to do your will because your law is in my heart. Psalms 119 goes even further. If your law was not in my heart, or actually says, if I did not perish, was not my delight. If your law was not my delight, I would perish. So there is a way, and there's some, and some Weird way, it's possible to actually delight in doing God's will. Religion normally is not understood that way. The way most people understand religion is a list of do's, a list of don'ts. It's very legalistic. You do this, you don't do this, you obey God, you disobey God, you're punished, and so on and so forth. But John's telling us, no, it's actually different than that. Being a Christian is different than that. His commands are not burdensome for you. Okay, why are they not burdensome? He answers that in the next verse, the first part of verse four. For everyone born of God overcomes the world, is what he says. The reason, if it feels burdensome for you, which sometimes it does for all of us, the reason it can feel burdensome is because the world weighs us down. And the desires of the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, 
those things make the commands of God burdensome. And that keeps us from doing his will. When he speaks of God's commands, he's not just talking about going out and serving the poor. He's not just talking about helping the homeless. He is talking about those things, but he's talking about the intentions and motivations of our heart. That's where we learn to delight in them. It's not the do's and don'ts. It's why we do and we don't. Why are we doing those things and not doing those things? The motivation in our hearts. And he says, everyone born of God overcomes the world. The world does not want us to love God or people. The world wants to distract us, divide us, and destroy us. The world wants to distract us, divide us, and destroy us. And one of the reasons I I have been sitting on this passage and just kind of praying through this passage is because I feel like there is a lot of the world ringing loud these days. And I, I, I started praying through this passage. I'm like, how can I get through this? And John tells us, this is how you can get through this today. This is how you can overcome the world. The world today, you know what it wants to do? It wants to distract, divide, and destroy us. It wants to distract us with stuff. Whether you have it or you don't have it, it wants to distract us with stuff. I was listening to a podcast recently, and the guy was uh, talking about marketing. Market, the reason a marketing department even exists anywhere is to make you want things. They want to make you want it. That is the world. The world wants to distract you with stuff. It wants to bring noise into your life. And most of all, it wants to dull your spirit. It wants your spirit to be so dull that you cannot hear God if he were to walk and talk right in front of you. That's what the world wants to do. It wants you to be so jaded and so dull that God could walk in the room and you would miss him. That's the world's desire for you. What else does it do? It divides us. It wants us to have relational conflict. It wants us to get offended at the smallest things. I'm saying these things, but I want, you, I want to be clear. These are all things that I struggle with too. These are things that we all struggle with. It wants you to be divided. It wants you to be hurt by someone who did not intend to hurt you. I've been thinking of this um, something, I'm sure you guys have, most of you have probably heard it, but we often judge ourselves based on our own motivations, but when we look at others, we judge them based on their actions. We look at others and something they do, and we judge them based off of what they do, but when we look at ourselves, we judge ourselves based off of our motivations. If you're wondering why you keep getting offended at what someone's doing, take a second, after they do that, think, did they really intend to hurt me in that way? The answer 99.9, probably 100% of the time is no, especially if it's someone in this room in the family of faith. We judge each other based on their actions, but we judge ourselves based on our motivations. If we would try to judge others based on their motivations and their intentions, we would realize, oh, they are not actually out to get me. I don't need to be divided with my brother or with my sister. They love me. Now, they did something accidental that may have hurt me, 
because human nature exists, but that was not their intention. If Satan had it his way, he would love for the world to divide us, and last is destroy us with discouragement. If we could be so overwhelmed by seeing nothing, hearing nothing, doing nothing, and become apathetic and sit back, Satan would be very happy and the world would have its way. So the world tries to come against us by distracting us, dividing us, and destroying us. But then John continues in the second part of verse four, and this is the third question that he has. Well, in the first part, he says that if you're born of God, you've actually overcome the world. So then, okay, so I'm born of God. I've overcome the world, but why do I sometimes still feel these things? Now, John's writing to mostly a Christian audience. Okay, so they're all asking the same questions. They're thinking, why do I still feel that sometimes? Why do I still feel divided? Why do I still feel discouraged? Why do I still feel distracted? Why does my spirit get dull sometimes? And so he answers, okay, yes, you are overcome. You can overcome the world because you're born of God. But then he says, how do you overcome the world? Now, all of us born of God, we, are, we have overcome the world. But he says, faith is what gives you victory. The last part of verse four and verse five, this is the victory that overcomes the world our faith. And then in verse five, he defines that. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. Just because we're born of God doesn't make us victorious over the, over the world. Yes, it allows us to overcome the world, but it doesn't make us victorious. Our faith is what then makes us victorious over the world. So you can be born of God, you can be a believer, you can have eternal life and not be victorious over the world, which means that his commands are constantly burdensome for you, which means that you are frequently distracted, dull in your spirit, discouraged. But God's desire is not that we would be distracted, divided, and destroyed. God's desire for us is that we would be unified, attentive, and engaged, and courageous. And that is what we have power to do with our faith. Faith in who? Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. Now, that is a difficult thing to engage with. In this season in particular, I've been thinking about this because of how much noise exists right now not even turning on the news, just looking at my phone. I feel like I'm getting notifications and messages of noise. And the noise will dull our spirits. The noise will distract us from God. So how then do we step back in our faith? What are practical ways that we do that? In my life, and I think this is what I've seen in scripture to exhort us to do, it's spending time in worship. It's spending time in scripture. It's spending time in prayer. Because when we are away from the truth, which is this book, when we're away from the truth, we get distracted by the world. Even if you pray a lot, I, I, we should pray a lot. Even if you worship a lot, 
Sometimes we still can forget the truth. I think of times in my, in my life where God's commands have been desirable because we've, we get those moments, right? And I'm sure you've experienced it too, the moment where you just feel so much joy when you do something for God or you, feel, you just feel so near to him. And I, and I think we should get them a lot. But those seasons of my life, compared to the ones where I did not feel that way, and I was mostly doing something out of legalism, the main difference was how close I was to this book. The main difference was how close I was. I'm not talking about how many hours I was reading. I'm not talking about how many chapters I was reading. That is irrelevant to God. I'm talking how much I was immersed in truth, whether it's two words or a thousand words or 10 chapters or a hundred chapters. How close I was to this book was showing how close I was to truth. And who is true? God is true. And in those seasons, those were the seasons where I actually experienced, oh, these commands are not burdensome. These commands are a delight. These commands are a desire because that word, these words strengthen faith. It allows me, it allows you to be victorious over the world, not just overcome. Yes, you've overcome, hallelujah, but you can be victorious. You do not have to be weighed down. You do not have to be heavy. You do not have to be discouraged. You can actually have hope. You can actually stand up and be happy. You don't have to worry about relational conflict. You don't have to worry about sin, which is creeping at your door, ready to attack you at any moment. You can actually be confident before God, not worrying about today or tomorrow or what's coming. And it feels like right now that a lot of us are worrying. I'm speaking for myself. Now the temptation in most of our lives probably is to worry. I feel like every, I was actually talking to a friend this morning. It seems like every week something new happens. Now it's the wildfires that are blazing across the West. Every week, it's like something new is happening. There's something new, there's something new. And if we give into it, and if we are inundated by that noise, not that we shouldn't be aware, we should be aware, But if that is our primary intake, you will be destroyed. You will be discouraged. You will be pressed down. Now let's be aware, let's understand what's happening, and then let's remember the promises of God, which is that we can be victorious. God is calling the church now. I feel like more than ever, but I just wanna say it that way. That's the urgency that it feels to be a light and to shine, to love, to speak truth, to give answers. People need answers. And not only is he calling us to do that, but he is also giving us time and giving us the choice to see what we're gonna fill our lives with. Because a lot of us have had a lot taken from us in the last six months to a year. There's been a lot that has been taken, whether by your choice or not your choice, even something as simple as college football, even something as you know, simple as movies, new movies, whatever it is. Simple things like that have been taken from us. Something as simple as going, going out 
to dinner maybe, you know, or going and sitting inside a Starbucks. I think they actually have opened their indoor seating now, but things like that have been taken from us. And now we have a choice. What are we going to fill that void with? Maybe you've already filled it with something. But we have, an, we have a moment in time right now to step back and fill it with truth. Fill it with faith instead of noise. This morning, as we transition into ministry time, Mike Smith's gonna lead us. I just wanna pray for us. <clears throat> and I want us to think about how God wants, Mike will lead us in, in different ways, but maybe this week, as you think about this, Let's think about ways that we can stir up our faith. There's actually a song that I know Austin and Alyssa sing a lot, but I I love this song. Awake my soul and sing. And then it goes, sing his praise. That's a psalm. I I forget which psalm. But that, I, I love that song because sometimes when our faith seems low or we feel discouraged, sometimes you have to look into your soul and say, awake my soul and sing right now, sing. Step out of discouragement, step out of apathy, get into the word, remember truth, and sing. So let's stand together. And as, we, uh, as, we go to, as Mike Smith comes up here, I just wanna pray for us. Lord, we love you. God, when the world creeps in, Remind us that we are born of God and not only that we are born of God, but that we can be victorious over the world. That it has no power over us, but that we have faith in Jesus Christ, who is the son of the living God and has defeated every power and principality that tries to take us over. God, remind us that that power is within us. When our spirits feel dull and we feel distant from you, would you stir our faith, God? Would you strengthen our faith to remember, Lord, that your commands are desirable? Lord, that if it weren't for delighting in your law, we would perish. God, this morning I ask that you would speak to us that you would move upon our hearts, that you would show us the beauty of your son. In Jesus' name.